the scarcity economy is here and it will be here for a while. This whole crisis is about people, is it not? Is not a supply issue, it's a demand issue. We're probably in our fifth or sixth marathon and we've only stopped to have a glass of water and how much harder can people grind? Hello, I'm Jennifer Reingold with World 50. Welcome to the scarcity economy. We used to live in a world where you could get anything you wanted, as long as you were willing to pay for it. But maybe now that's not the case anymore. And scarcity is going to become a bigger part of our lives, our vocabulary, and our expectations. Cheryl Capps, Senior Vice President and Chief Supply Chain Officer of Corning, tells me that there's a complex imbalance in supply and demand. It's not just that supply is low. It's also that demand is at an all-time high. I think about it this way. It's like just fundamentals of economics, supply and demand. When supply and demand are, are out of balance, right, bad things happen. You know, what we're facing now is supply and demand are out of balance in a lot of areas. So like, what are those tools and tricks of the trade that resolve supply and imbalance? Well, you can invest in incremental capacity, right? Okay, that's great. You can become more efficient at the stuff that you do do. Talk about freight, right, and logistics. Well, there is a problem, obviously, with the ports. There's a capacity issue with, with getting things into the ports of Los Angeles, right? You've seen all the photos in the press. There's 98 ships that were stacked up last Sunday, despite the fact that we thought it was going to improve. It didn't improve. So what does that mean? Well, you've got increased capacity at the, at the ports. And people locked on it. Oh, well, if we work 24-7, you get some instant capacity. Well, sure you do. But that's the capacity at that particular bottleneck. And, and oh, by the way, it's limited. I would argue that the bigger source of getting capacity at the ports would be to automate the ports or mm. digitalize the ports. Like all of the other major countries in the world have digitalized and automated their ports. So this is of the major ports in the world, the, the least automated? Oh, absolutely. It's probably a union-related question, right? There's conjecture that it's that way, right? That the longshoremen, the unions have been opposed to automation, but now there's not enough of them. So you now have enough people and you're not automating. So I start with capacity. Now I, I take the next thing you've seen in the news, right? About all these containers that are like scattered everywhere and they're jamming everything up to gridlock, right? You have to solve that. Well, you've heard about a container shortage. So what are they doing? They're taking these ships that are capacity constrained and they're doing blank sailings. What does that mean? That they're loading a whole bunch of empty containers on them and they're getting the stuff out of there. Incredibly inefficient. If you're short on labor, you don't have enough ships, but you can't unload the ships because the containers are there. So they're taking these empty containers and they're throwing on the ships. Really inefficient. Wouldn't it? I'm sorry to ask the dumb question here, but put stuff in the containers before you put them on? You would if you could get the stuff <laughs> there. But guess what happens? We've got a driver shortage. Oh, by the way, these drivers, they're regulated a certain number of hours they can drive a day. They're spending multiple hours a day just sitting in their trucks because the traffic is backed up so far to the ports, they can't get in and out. They really only get paid when they get their stuff, right? So they're not really getting paid for the time they're sitting, or are they? They're using up their available hour. I love this example because it tells you all of the pieces that have to get solved, mm -hmm. right? We put legislation in place because it's unsafe having drivers who've had no sleep, have been driving 24 hours straight. So totally agree with that. So you limit the number of hours they can drive except that half the hours are sitting there asleep in their truck because they are sitting there in line. So now you have a capacity shortage and half of what you're doing is just sitting there. Even worse, there's stories about drivers. We don't have enough rest stops for drivers. Drivers can't, don't use their available hours if they're actually at legitimate rest stops and doing their sleeping hours there. 
There are drivers who are spending two, three hours trying to find an open rest stop so that they can sleep. This whole thing to me is shocking. Is there a solve for this stuff? Like, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming not in the immediate term, but you know, when the way you're describing it feels pretty hopeless. So I think that the that the solution is there's no magic bullet, right? Nobody's gonna throw resources at it and get it resolved in six weeks. I think what has to happen is people need to understand the supply chains and the end. They have to work on all the component parts of resolving a particular supply chain, right? They have to have comprehensive plans that include all those. And it's fundamentally getting capacity and getting to equilibrium on supply and demand. And getting to equilibrium, if you have a shortage of resources, your scarcity economy, well, then you have to be darn more efficient with the stuff that you have. Or you have to reduce the demand, I guess, is the other option, which nobody wants to do, but that's what's going to end up happening. Correct. Yeah, you're right. If you don't solve the supply side, you you end up reducing the demand, right? People aren't getting as many new cars as they want to have right now. And then they maybe stop buying because it's going to take them two months or they can't buy because they missed their Christmas presents or whatever, so they don't buy it. Which is not good for the economy in total. So we are now in the third calendar year of this pandemic with no end in sight. Mark Westfall, Chief Procurement Officer and Global Head of Supply Chain Services at Coca-Cola, tells me that partially, yes, as a result of COVID, two major events happened. The first is a major unfavorable supply shock that started in March of 2020 and really continued through the the fall of 2020 and and even continues into today. And that was a result of people shortages, plant shutdowns, all related to the COVID lockdowns. The second event that occurred and started really in the summer of 2020 was a huge favorable demand shock where certain structural changes began to take place in the economy as people's behaviors changed. So for example, in our business, we saw an enormous shift from on-premise consumption because people weren't going to restaurants, bars, stadiums, et cetera, to stay-at-home packaging. And the implications for us really saw a massive increase in orange juice consumption because they're two different responses that are required. Where you have the unfavorable supply shock, what you're focused on is alleviating the bottlenecks and the shortages, because that's truly what they are, is bottlenecks and shortages of what you previously had as your installed capacity base. When you look at the favorable demand shock, it's actually trying to drive investment and rerouting your supply chain to bring things into markets that never existed there before. And so the responses to these two shocks could be very different. And as the head of supply chain and overseeing procurement, it's really important to understand those two because they could drive different actions on the part of the organization. So you could say that you always have had to respond, right, to shifts and trends and, you know, anticipating demand. But is there anything that's fundamentally and permanently shifting in the way that your work goes or the way you think about the function itself? Or do you just see this as like this is this year's, you know, supply demand crunch and then three months from now, it'll be something different. We've always had issues as a global business. We're operating in every country, but two. So at any given time, there there are issues. So we do deal with these things on a regular basis. The issue with this environment that we're in currently is that it's everywhere and it's relentless. And it's all happening at the same time. And so even if you can get product in a particular geography, then the question is, can you move it? either over the road or across water. And there's lots of issues right now with moving product across water because the ocean carriers are all backed up sitting in ports. 
And so you've got this multiplicative and domino effect that's occurring not only in supply points, but also hitting logistics and ultimately backing up everything. And so, you know, it's real time every day because we're trying to run everything 24-7. Our conversations identify scarcity across the entire economic cycle, but it is most common in skilled labor, manufacturing, and logistics capability. Every industry we segmented, from consumer goods to finance, reported at least moderate shortages of skilled labor. Chad Workema, Vice President for Supply Chain and Procurement for Motorola Solutions, says we truly are living in a perfect storm with COVID and the variations. There's still a bubble of demand out there right now. And how I would refer it to is a toilet paper effect that occurred for many of us uh, when, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm going to get toilet paper. So probably not 10 out of 10 people bought more toilet paper mm-hmm. than they wanted to because they didn't want to be in a position they have toilet paper. Yeah. I can't say I'm not guilty of that one. Oh, no, me too. Me too. But my premise is I think this is happening across the industry in semiconductors and other categories or commodities where you have a constrained environment. So what does human nature do? I Maybe I need one. I'm going to order 10 and hope that I get one. The reality is you're not getting even the one right now. And mm-hmm. until supply starts to come online, then there'll be kind of like a holy crap moment. The companies go, well, wait a minute. I don't need the 10 that I have on order. I only need one. And that may help facilitate recovery faster in the supply environment. This is, again, my humble opinion. But because supply hasn't started to accelerate, we haven't seen that adjustment or course correction, if you will. So that I understand this, though, are you basically saying that what's going to happen is all of this supply is finally going to start to loosen and then people aren't going to want it? And then demand will have dropped by then? Demand would have dropped and, and you can go to the other other cycle, other end of the spectrum, or the recovery will become faster because supply is increasing and then the demand goes down because people are really saying, I don't really need 10, I need one. So the order volumes go down. You know, the other variables, we we do have overused term, but we truly are living in a perfect storm with COVID, the variations keeping a watchful eye. You have the supply issues with semiconductors, but everywhere you go, there's other lead times are increasing. Labor, absolutely an issue not only in North America, but around the world right now in terms of getting people and the people that you're getting, this whole inflationary costs are going up, whether that's on the direct labor side or even getting top talent across in, in the indirect labor market as well. I think the other important piece is how can you know boards and companies, this is more on the people element, but it's one of the variables that are important because scarcity of resources and there's high competition, the great retirement, a lot of people are moving jobs, et cetera, is, Boards and executives, you know, chairmans to really figure out how they motivate the organ supply chain procurement during this time. And I'm not just talking from a financial perspective, but to be intentional in their words and and support. Uh, you are the third person who has said this to me. We're probably in our fifth or sixth marathon, and we've only stopped to have a glass of water, and, and then it keeps on going. So how how much harder can people grind? And you can really tell it in a crisis who's sticking with you or not. But even even then, people have their limitations because it's such a prolonged situation. The visibility in the wrong way supply chain has with the pressures of the company is really coming All the pressures they have personally too, given everything. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. The increased pressure to both raise prices and boost wages is leading many companies to accelerate automation. 
That's something that is politically challenging, but, say many leaders, economically necessary, as wages continue to soar and labor is difficult to find. Chuck Sample, Vice President of Insights and Analytics at U.S. Foods, says that the scarcity is with getting the product from point A to point B and less with the product itself. COVID has exemplified, has articulated as a need for investment really well because we've had to fundamentally shift how we staff our business because we just don't have the labor to support it. Supply chain issue is not about the availability of product as much as it is about the availability of getting the product from point A to point B, which is a labor issue Mm -hmm. in in many ways. And so it started off as a a product issue, product availability as it relates to having enough product. Allocation by the manufacturers, you know, they became stretched too thin and they had to make choices and everybody, you know, suffered as a result of it. But now I think that's less of the issue. It's still an issue, don't get me wrong. But I mean, if you're looking at a, you're looking at probably like an 80-20 situation, 80% of our supply chain issues are predicated on just labor shortage. What's your sense of how permanent this is, right? There's a lot of debate whether this is a function of people getting money for the pandemic, whether it's demographic, whether it's, what do you, where, how are you planning and thinking about labor? I think it's a fundamental shift in the labor force. There's some things that we already saw writing on the walls where there were less and less drivers in the marketplace, as an example. There just wasn't enough drivers entering into the workforce, people entering into that field to replace the folks who were leaving it. COVID just made that even more difficult. Obviously, as that happens, cost goes up incredibly because you start to, they can demand their price. I think there's a there's a major shift in certain skill sets and certain hourly rate wage jobs that are are, are going to fundamentally shift. I think the question is, is there going to be enough people entering into the driver workforce in the future? While it pays really well, which is the good side, the bad side is there's such demand across every industry. I think it makes just supply chain incredibly expensive. The other skills are warehouses. It becomes a situation that I think is purely, for lack of a better word, a recession versus a growth and, and contracting economy situation where we'll, we'll come out of that one okay. That over time will settle itself down. But today, right, obviously, our challenge is, is you know, prices are continuing continuously increasing on the hourly wage, which is, in my opinion, is a good thing. However, it, it does make things difficult on our end. It means that you, there's an irony that it forces technology because if the hourly employee becomes so expensive, then you, the investment becomes worthwhile to figure out ways to optimize the, the warehouse, which in the long run, when the labor economy goes to the advantage of the employer, then that makes it even worse for the employee in the long run, right? Because it's always just makes the shift more dramatic, I think. That seems, I'm hearing that again and again and again and again from everybody. But that feels to me the thing that's in some ways the the least well understood. I mean, yes, of course, there are things stuck in containers, but the reason they're things stuck is because no one's unloading them, not because they're not there. Right, and that's because they moved on to other positions, right? They've either gone, there's all sorts of reasons why people, it's not a one you know, situation, but we've seen it. They either go back to school, they go back to training, they go to higher paying jobs, and then you're having to supplement, quite frankly, with even less skilled people, which means that you're less efficient. And you can see that on the operator side too. So on our our, our restaurant customers, right? You can see that the kind of the quality of the staff that they're bringing in is, it's not just that they have less staff, they also have the quality of the staff is, is, is also suffering a bit, right? Which requires more training, more support, therefore less profitable. And less happy customers. For all the worry about raw materials, chips, toys, and COVID test kits, our conversations show that the most universal problem and the one that's least likely to ease anytime soon 
is the shortage of people. I asked Mike Harris, Senior Vice President of Sales and Operations at truck supplier Fleet Pride, to share his long-term perspective on this issue. Are there other decisions, approaches, things that go beyond supply chain that companies like yours have to do differently, maybe forever, or at least for the foreseeable future? No, I think it's much bigger. In addition to that, two other elements kind of come to mind, Jennifer, I would say. One is technology in our business. And another is people. And there's a lot of things that go into our employee engagement, which directly relates to labor shortages, wage inflation, how we're managing those things to mitigate the shortage in the workforce that we experience like a lot of other industries. Certainly in the distribution roles in our distribution centers, our, some of our frontline workers in the warehouses in our stores around the country, that's a similar population to all of the other industrial distribution businesses or large retailers with big distribution supply chains. We're all fighting for the same workforce and everyone's having the same exact struggle. Labor and talent are top of mind for members and organizations. The Great Resignation even has its own Wikipedia page. And a subreddit named Anti-Work has more than 1.7 million subscribers on the social media website Reddit. In part two of The Scarcity Economy, we will continue our conversation with Mike Harris and speak with more executives about what they are experiencing and how they are reacting to the scarcity of labor. <laughs>